time to get dosed. Welcome to Dosed, everybody. This is your host, Abby Martin. Today we're going to be talking about something very personal, something I've never talked about publicly, even though I've been going through it for over 10 years. Stalkers, and the widely misunderstood and little talked about phenomenon of stalking and being stalked. I'm doing this episode today because I want to offer information for people who have or will experience this, and who might be in need of community and support. But also I just want everyone to hear this. Because it's likely someone in your life at some point will be a victim of stalking. And the seriousness of that needs to be understood. Stalking is defined by the act or crime of willfully and repeatedly following or harassing another person in circumstances that would cause a reasonable person to fear. Other definitions put it more simply, at two or more unwanted contacts against a person that causes reasonable fear. Behavior that qualifies as stalking includes unsolicited phone calls, texts, or voicemails, non-consensual contact or invading a person's privacy, repeatedly sending unwanted letters, gifts, emails, and more. Some of these things may seem easy to downplay, but the reason they're considered stalking is because of the harm these behaviors cause for the victims, and most importantly, what they could lead to. But it's such a misunderstood and minimized phenomenon. Stalking was not even considered a crime until the 1990s. And it wasn't until the 2000s that it was even criminalized in all 50 states. And in many countries, it's still totally legal. Even though there have been big strides in the U.S. to protect victims, it's still very difficult. And anyone who is a victim knows that every step of the way, you are up against so much. And it's an incredibly frustrating and scary process. In popular culture, stalking has always been something that happens to celebrities from obsessed fans. But in the social media age, anybody is more at risk than ever before. Shocking new statistics from the CDC shows one in three women will be victims of stalking and one in six men. About half of these women will be stalked by current or a former romantic partner. Most women who are murdered or suffer attempted murder by their partner were first stalked by them. But the other half of these women will either be stalked by acquaintances or colleagues they barely know, or by people they do not know at all. The kind of stranger stalking phenomenon that once made up a minority of stalking cases is now a major factor in this hidden epidemic. Being the victim myself of one of these stranger stalkers is something I have in common with our guest today. When I was going through the past decade of living in fear, I really avoided researching anything that had to do with stalking, because frankly it was too stressful and terrifying. A lot of the news out there is not good about what happens to women who are victims of stalking. But once my case finally went to trial this year, and I had to face the topic head-on and really dig through the archives of this trauma, I found people like Lenora Clare, who have strikingly similar stories to mine. 
and it also revealed to me just how widespread and mostly unknown this is. Lenora Clare is one of the most high-profile advocates of stalking awareness and advocacy. Her background is in the entertainment and art industry here in Los Angeles, but through her own struggles, has come to be a mentor and policy expert on the issue. She's been featured on programs like 48 Hours and Crime Watch to tell her story as a survivor, and now she helps to empower other victims. And now she helps to empower other female victims and is actively involved in creating and reforming legislation to bring perpetrators to justice and keep victims safe. Like Lenora, I've been stalked by a complete stranger who I never knew and who became obsessed with me for over 10 years, which started with just a small website I ran before I even had a TV show. It's so strange to experience this from someone you do not know and have no link whatsoever to them. It dramatically escalated to the point where I was living in hiding and in fear of my life, where this person had come to my home, sent me photos of guns and ammunition, repeatedly threatened to rape me, and expressed homicidal fantasies. As I said, I avoided this topic for a long time. Recently, I finally dug into it, and it opened up a whole new world, Lenora, um, of not only facts and statistics about just how common this is, but stories of other victims who have similar experiences and the shared characteristics that many stalkers have. It provided me comfort in a way, and and it means a lot to be talking to you because I've never talked to another victim before. I know that's a lot to talk about because this isn't something that merely happened to you, past tense. It's happening mm-hmm. to you, Lenore. Okay. You're still being stalked. But I guess just bring us back to the beginning. Like, how did the stalking start? Yeah, so so we are both in the over a decade club. Um, mine started <laughs> in 2011. That's the other thing too. People are always like that long, and I'm like, oh yes, that long. And you look at like Brooke Shields. I think she's at 30 years, right? Oh my god. So, yeah, um, yeah. So taking it back to the beginning, 2011 was a really different time for me. Um, I was I was popping. Things were great. I opened an art gallery. It was going really well. Um, I got a lot of media attention for the thing that I worked so hard for in my gallery. And I also want to always preface when I talk about my stalker. My stalker is schizoaffective with erotomania. Erotomania is a psych disorder where he feels that he has a relationship with me that doesn't actually exist. And schizoaffective is a combination of schizophrenia with bipolar. So he has the mania. But I always want to preface and say I'm not stigmatizing people that have these struggles. It's it's just really important that I say that. But it's also important to note that to explain a lot of his behavior with my stalker. Um, so my stalker, whose birth name was – is it okay if we say their name? I know some people don't. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, if, feel okay. free to. Yeah, I know. I'm fully, yeah. I'm fully adjudicated. Yeah. But, I just, yeah. you know, some, I, always, I always have to ask, you know, mm-hmm. victim survivors how they feel. But um, my stalker's name is Justin Masler. He had it legally changed to Cloud Star Chaser. And he had already been stalking Ivanka Trump because, yes, my story goes there. It goes many weird places. Um, was stalking Ivanka Trump during the late 2000s. Um, so around 2011, he already had multiple arrests for stalking her, trying to kill himself in her store. So he was already a, a scary individual. But, you know, I'm living my life in L.A. I certainly don't know anything about Ivanka. Like, I'm just living my life. Um, and so after one of his arrests for crimes towards her, he jumps bail. He comes to L.A. He opens up a magazine. He sees me. He becomes fixated. He shows up to my gallery wearing a spacesuit. 
And as I explained, I, you know, I'm kind of like a counterculture art person. So I have a high tolerance for <laughs> and, you know, this Not isn't the so, weirdest like, thing cool. in the world in LA, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, I'm like, cool, Ziggy, Ziggy Stardust <laughs> over here, like whatever, you know. And so I engage with him and I could tell right away that he was really intelligent, but he also looked at me with this like inappropriate intensity. And he looked at me and he said, you look like Jessica Rabbit. And I said, okay, like I hear that sometimes. And he goes, and I'm going to stalk you. And it was so chilling. And of course, I had no idea what was to come. But, you know, that was enough for me to kick him out of the gallery. Not think a whole lot of it, but just remove the individual. Um, and then a couple of days later, I was getting texts from friends who were like, that guy that you had the weird thing with, he was all over the news because the Trumps had hired bounty hunters to extradite him to New York to stand trial at Rikers Island. So he goes to jail um, for stalking Ivanka, but it was like misdemeanor crimes and starts sending me this these like long just just ramblings, which then very quickly escalated to incredibly graphic and horrifying rape and death threats. So that's the that's the origin of how my story started. Good God. I mean, it's it's such a bizarre story. And it I mean, the most odd thing about it, I think, is just what what he said to you. You know, I mean, and this is this is something that's really interesting about it is that he essentially admits from the get is that he's planning to do this and then proceeds to do it. I mean, this yeah. is, you know, the, despite the mental illness, and, and I think the stranger stalking phenomenon, it is, a, you know, there are a lot of tendencies um, to have mental illness, of course, because you, you know, you're obsessed with a complete stranger who you have no relation to at all. But the mm-hmm. thing is, your stalker, like mine, um, knows that he is stalking you. Right. And mine knows that he is stalking me. And he said multiple times, you know, he is stalking me. He's a creepy stalker, things like that. And like you said, the aspect of the mental illness or mental disorder that you you actually have the delusion that you're in a relationship with this person. Um, But even though even though mental illness does play a role in the stranger stalking phenomenon, it doesn't excuse the behavior and it does nothing to protect victims. Lenora. That's right. And I'd also like to point out that we didn't have the language back in 2011, but my stalker is also an incel. You know, that Mm -hmm. is very much a part of his makeup. He comes from a very wealthy family. He's which is what, you know, affords in the lifestyle of just going around the country, stalking all kinds of people. Um, He feels entitled to myself and other women. Um, And actually his breakdown is it's so beyond misogynistic as to why he feels entitled to us. I mean, with me specifically, he he writes at length about how he feels that women are only allowed one gift. And by that, it could be beauty, brains, you know, physical prowess because they're an athlete, whatever. And I have more than one. And therefore, you know, it's like this whole very bizarre. It's it's he. Just he hates women. He hates women and he hates that he can't have all the women he feels entitled to. So um, there's right. a lot there's a lot going on. Yeah. There's, no. There's I, people, yeah. Yeah. No, I think a, a big a big problem with that is that, uh, you know, these men are competent enough to hold down jobs and they're goal oriented enough, even though they have the component of mental illness and perhaps incel type mentality of, you know, feeling like they're entitled to whatever women they pick out. Um, it It's very highly goal oriented to target you right they i mean they have the capacity to buy weapons they have the capacity to own a vehicle get on a plane find out where you live where you're going to be um which makes which may (laughs) yeah have a job i mean hold down a job which makes all this more scary i mean to have someone untethered from reality and therefore capable of pretty much anything and you know be proficient with technology research highly motivated and focused on their task of stalking 
But our society has no apparatus to deal with people like this. And so it's that kind of gray area where people, you know, I've heard people advocate that, you know, a lot of these people should be institutionalized and not criminally prosecuted and just dealt with as as a mentally ill person. But it doesn't change, again, the danger. And it doesn't change the fact that there's the capacity for a lot of harm to be caused. That's right. Um. Yeah. So you mentioned Ivanka Trump, and I think that this is this is another really important component of this is that in the case of stranger stalking, especially, is that that never stops. It never stops. Stalkers never just stop stalking. I mean, it's really I'm sure that there are instances of stalkers who stop stalking, but it usually is just pivoting their obsessive victim, you know, their obsessive um, stalking on another victim. And so in the case of Ivanka, I guess he went from, was it Kim Kardashian as well? I think you said like, and then Ivanka later, Mm -hmm. it was, it started with Ivanka, a bunch of girls he went to high school with, then myself, a whole lot of um, like busty sex workers that he targets. Uh, It's very specific. Uh, Kim Kardashian and Gwyneth Paltrow, as well as the entirety of WME has a restraining order against him wow. because of threats that he made towards Kim. Yeah, he's he's really prolific. Um, and you, I mean, you received a much crazier end of this dude's delusions because you are less protected than someone like Ivanka fucking Trump. <laughs> like, yeah, you... that's, that's, that's exactly right. Like, I'm I'm the person. I, I don't live in a gated community. I don't have a security firm. That's exactly right. I'm I I definitely felt that I was the one who was the most risk. I'm the most accessible. That's totally correct. Yeah. Um, I want to get into some of the advice and feedback victims get throughout this process, because in, mm-hmm. in my case, and I'm sure that you have similar situations, is that at, at the beginning, I mean, throughout the case of the stalking saga 10 years now, my perpetrator would keep giving me ultimatums, mm-hmm. um, especially at the beginning, and, and which I actually believed, telling me over and over again, I'm never going to bother you again. If you just tell me to stop, if you just do this, if you do that, or, you know, homicidal, suicidal kind of threats being like, I'm going to do this unless you do this. And at first, I I guess I believed it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I did try to kind of bow to the whims of the perpetrator by somehow thinking that if I was clear enough in my absolutism, like never contact me again, I have no interest in you. And then I realized really quickly, it was just reinforcing the harassment because they knew that they would get a response if they demanded one. Yeah. If you, if you really get into like the teachings and risk minimization, it's, it's frequently believed that gray rock, no contact at all is really the way to go. Uh, because if you are, are, are firm, they might feel that you're antagonizing and it might exacerbate. And if you're too kind, they glom on harder. So really it's better to just cut off all contact. Like you just do not reply is, is sort of what we teach people now. Yeah. And then, and then there's just, there's just the advice. You know, I, I remember I was reading this book, The Gift of Fear when, oh, yes. when it started. And I remember consulting endlessly. I was living in a new city. I had no friends and, and family support at all. And this was when it, it, it started to really escalate where the perpetrator actually came to try to find me. I was in DC. It was extremely scary and tumultuous time. And I remember consulting just with forums and so-called stalking mm-hmm. experts online and even, you know, my boss and, you know, people that had no, like, basically just like misogynists around me in my workplace who were already like questionable. Um, but I got just such varied advice. The most yeah. significant advice from like so-called experts was like, you, the last thing that you want, Lenore, is to get a restraining order. 
because if you oh, get right. a restraining I, I, by the order, way, thank, thank you, Gavin DeBecker, for that bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, right. Sorry, I have a lot to say about that. No, but, uh, please. I mean, I have, I have some real theories about why why he and his very expensive firm that you then hire instead of having a restraining order, uh, why he thinks that. But we, I'll just say that we do not agree on that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So what? So were you experiencing similar kind of like? Because it's so confusing when you're trying to navigate this, especially online. It's like, well, what do I do? Right. And people are like, oh, no, no, no. Restraining order is the worst thing you could do because right. then that be my what finally sets them off to hurt and kill you. So I was like, it, well, fuck. Right. I mean, look, it's a flawed system, but it's the best we have. And that is that is the means to, as as we both, you know, prosecuted the restraining orders are essential to get to that uh, part of the the everything. Um. So I was similarly, I was getting trash advice, mostly from well-intentioned people who really thought they had my, but they, they just didn't know, you know, and they would give me the, what I now believe is, it's just not good advice was, you know, just block, block him. And the, the thing with that is that when you're being stalked, because it's a different, there's a big difference between harassment and stalking. Harassment can lead to stalking. There is overlap. However, when you're being surveilled, when, you know, th- this is, this is escalated, right? And so the worst thing for you to do is block the individual because you're collecting evidence. Like my stalker told me where he was going to attempt to kidnap me from. If I had blocked that and not seen that, then I wouldn't have been able to, ca- I had to catch up myself, by the way. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Not to mention I'm collecting evidence to, you know, to, to further my case. So, you know, everyone's saying, oh, just block him, block him. Like, okay, maybe emotionally that might be helpful in the moment, but that's really long-term doing you a disservice. And again, I think that's people who thought they were being helpful, but they themselves haven't been in a dangerous stalking situation where that advice would be relevant or useful. So um I just had a lot of people weighing in with all kinds of stuff. And, you know, now I'm, a, look, I'm, I'm alive 11 years deep. I've sent her to jail multiple times. I'm now somebody who's helped over a hundred people get restraining orders. I'm, I'm in this completely different capacity. So I've gone through the other side and I, I see why I'll also, let's just be honest. There's a lot of times that people are just so uncomfortable with these conversations and they'll like say anything to like calm you down or to shut you up or maybe, or maybe worse yet, you know, I've had people say the most obnoxious things to me. Like, well, he's not that bad looking. Aren't, aren't you kind oh, of flat? But I've, my I've heard the most. God. Yeah, I've heard the most insane shit, uh, as I'm sure you have as well. Oh, so. my God, um, dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, let me let me just tell you some of yeah, some of the things that happened to me, too, because um, very similar, just crazy fucking advice from people that have no idea how traumatizing this is and how you know what it all entails, like, because I think stalking is so widely like underreported, not talked about, misunderstood for so many reasons. It's like people, yeah, women, women have told me um, that they're jealous. They're just like, oh, that's really cool. You have a stalker. Oh, man, like, I'm kind of jealous. I wish I had a stalker. That's what a woman told me one time. I was like, you have no idea what this is, man. Like, um, uh, one friend of mine who's like an anarchist, I remember telling me like how fucked up it was to pursue anything through the criminal justice system and that I should try to mediate all of this through his family and through him personally, which by the way, I've tried to at the very beginning. Um, and it's just like, how dare you dude? Like you have no idea. Like again, a lot of men, a lot of male dominative voices just saying, this is what you should do. You know, either don't get a restraining order. It took me three, it took me several years and this person coming across the country to stalk me where mm-hmm. I lived and worked three fucking times before I finally pursued that protective order. Um, in one case, he was living in D.C. for a month. And 
I, I guess in a way I was trying to resist giving the satisfaction of like him knowing that he was affecting me this much and, and that I was reading all the emails. But as you just outlined, like you need to document all of the harassment because that's and and the protective order violations because that's what builds the case. That's the only thing yeah, that you have like, going for you. Yeah, exactly. Oh God, I'm I'm just I'm just taking I'm just sitting with what that person <laughs> said to you. It's just oh my God. Uh, I mean, you know, and the, and the other conversation, and we we spoke about this a little bit the other day, is that you know these are complicated things, right? I fully understand that there's a lot of communities that rightfully so do not trust law enforcement, do not trust the system, who've already been victimized in some way. Like this is all incredibly valid, and these are part of the deeper discussions that need to be had as far as how we can treat this situation holistically. I mean, I just um. I just worked with a really wonderful organization called Spark, who are DOJ funded, and they just did a, a, a spent like a year trying to make it happen to get training to come in. So just I'll backtrack it a little bit. Yeah, um, so I'm involved. I'm on the Crime Victims Advisory Board as part of the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office, and they chose eight of us from around the city, and I was brought in to represent gender-based violence and sort of advocate for you know for that community and those umbrella of crimes. And I started realizing that because people always say to me. How can we fix this? Like as if it's some simple thing and you like wave a wand, right? And I find that most people immediately go, well, if we have better laws, then it's like, okay, like let's just hold on a minute. From from the jump, usually it's law enforcement who you're going to. And if law enforcement are not taking you seriously or if they're not trained to understand if you're at risk, if they're, you know what I mean? Like you're not getting as far to where you're getting to prosecution where the laws matter. So like, let's just like hold on a minute. And there's there's so many levels to what needs to be done to to address all this stuff but yeah it's it's definitely important to recognize that every just like any any individual is going to have a completely different relationship with how these things work but um i will say it's a really tricky place to be somebody who identifies as a progressive person but who finds themselves as a victim survivor and having to navigate the system it's a complicated thing but but the way that it it does work until we have a better way, it, it exactly is that it's to it's to get the restraining order to document it to work with these entities because that is that is this is how it is right now. Um, You're right. It sucks. It sucks, it and sucks. it sucks getting the restraining order. And when I when I got the first restraining order, um, I've had three already against the same perpetrator. Yeah. But the first time I got it in D.C., my address actually became publicly available. In the court documents, mm-hmm. and I was yeah. like, "I mean, that's why I always <laughs> advise people just like put down the little CBS, CVS, or Rite Aid closest to you, or whatever." I mean, yeah. it's so crazy. I was just like, "Wait, how is this possible? How is it possible that yeah. the restraining order process made me less safe, and then I yeah, had to move exactly. and going through that whole or- ordeal?" And then, as soon as it expired, um, it started again, you know. And then he, and then he said he was going to change his approach as a result of the expiration of the restraining order, and that's when everything really escalated. The second restraining order only increased the harassment and rape and suicide and homicide threats. And then um, somehow he he acquired a gun, ammunition, um, even with the protective order in place. And I think that's the problem is that when you're dealing with people like this, they're mm-hmm. undeterred from like the restraining order. I mean, the, at the end of the day, restraining order is just a piece of paper and violations of a restraining order are considered actually contempt of court. Like – that's right. what the police kept telling me. I mean, they're not taken urgently or seriously by law enforcement. And when I would go to the police station down the street, when there was violations, I mean, they were piling up like eight a day. They were just like, stop coming here. Like, this is annoying. Yeah. 
um, just. I'm sure they re- said it to you just like that. Yeah, too. no, they were just like they're, they're crazy and uncaring and like kind of. I mean, what was sad, and I think anecdotally going back to like how prevalent this is, because in the age of social media and Instagram influencers and stuff like that, every woman in the police station, every time I would go file the RO violations, were people reporting harassment or or, or, or RO violations of their own against men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even I mean, the. Even the experience, really, really quick, like going to get the restraining order experience because I went with Abby the second time and mm-hmm. we were like the last ones to go. And so we kind of saw all the other cases and, you know, like maybe 10% were like people who hated their neighbor and were like somehow trying oh, to yeah. get a restraining order against your neighbor, which <laughs> I don't know how that's possible because like you live next to each other. Right, but there, like yeah. the rest, <laughs> it was all, yeah. yeah, but then it was all women who had a stalker. It was like so much. And I was like, man, five days a week from from nine to five, this court is open with just a room filled with women who are trying to be protected from someone who, you know, could very likely kill them. It was a really wild experience. Right. Yeah, I have a lot to say about restraining orders and just to back it up a little bit. So one of the things that I'm working on is called SAVE. It's Stalking Abuse Victims Empowerment, which I'm not the first person to float this idea, but this is part of what I'm working on, which is essentially a restraining order registry. And, you know, we see with the sex offender registry, which, look, let's just be real. Sex offender registry can be problematic. There's people who end up on it for peeing in public, public sex, whatever, things that aren't there. But for the most part, it works. It does what it's designed to do, right? So if we had a restraining order registry and people were monitored and you could see, like, if they were, like, you know, red flag, if they have, like, two restraining orders, can't can't have a handgun, can't, if there's certain, like, limitations, that would be really beneficial for a lot of things. So that's just kind of an idea that's sort of like floating out there. Um, no, that's very, new- that's very right. beneficial. And I, yeah, I mean, that's, so talk about your experience with the restraining order process. Yeah. So my experience was, 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 oh boy. So because I had a stack of very explicit rape and death threats, it was no issue for me getting like, I, my stalker says, I'm going to do these things to you. Mm-hmm. Right. Most people are, are slicker than that. They don't do that. But mine, mine speaks very freely. So my difficulty was not obtaining the restraining order. So the way it works for people who don't know restraining orders, there's something called the the EPO, which is the emergency protective order, which might be issued, say, if there's like a domestic violence situation and police come and it's issued automatically and it's just for like a short period of time until they can get to court, right? That's like one kind. But the way that it works in most states, and I'll just give you California because it's the one I'm the most familiar with, is first you get what's called a TRO, a temporary restraining order, where you go to court you fill out the application and a judge usually like approves or denies it within an hour, right? And then you have to serve. People don't realize just because you've been granted the temporary restraining order does not actually go into effect until you're served. And so that was the difficulty for me was that my my stalker did not have a fixed address. And so serving was really problematic and difficult and took me years. And, oh, my God. Yeah. And for me, it was because he was... Uh, detained after walking into a Silicon Valley office of another woman he was stalking where he threatened to rape her at the front desk and police, uh, they, they detained him and let him go, but not before uh, giving oh my restraining my God. So that's how my tiara was first issued. And within three hours, he was writing me talking about how um, I must have been kidnapped by the LAPD because we're in love. And it was like this whole crazy thing. Um, so after the TRO, now here's the thing with the TRO, the TRO is only good for two weeks and that's, 
when that, and that unfortunately is because a lot of couples with DV situations, they get back together. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's for two weeks. And we have to be honest about what that is and why that is. So then you have, and they call it a permanent restraining order, which I hate because there's nothing permanent about it. It's just not temporary. So when you come back for your restraining order, which usually for the, this round, usually it's issued, it's a judge's discretion. Typically they go from like six months to three years for the first round. So then that's when you actually have to go to court and face your offender, which is like a whole other thing. And honestly, a lot of people, they back out for that reason. I do court support is one of the things that I do where I go with people uh, because people don't realize that, you know, what they do is like they have like a nine, like a 9 a.m. session. Right. And they stack 10 people at 9 a.m. So you all think you're coming in at 9 a.m. And so what that means is that you're you're there waiting in the hallways with your abuser, the offender, the person who's been doing these things to you. And I I like there's a woman I always talk about her when I do interviews because I'll never get her out of my mind. She was about my age. She had two black eyes holding a baby. Right. Oh so this God. is painful. And I don't know who the guy was to her boyfriend, husband, whatever. I could just see him mad dogging her the whole time. And she got up and she ran away. And that's, that's why I decided to do um, court support and go with people because I never wanted to see that happen again. And I've been advocating, like, this is LA, right? We have a green room for everything. Like, why can't we have a green room at the courthouse <laughs> where a victim could just like hang out until it's their time? I'm like, look, and you go, you go to Olive Garden, you get the little thing that's like, ding, 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 your table's ready. Like, why can't we do that for people? I don't know why these considerations for victim survivors, why, why we never get these like very necessary things. But um, so, yeah, so, so then you go to court and you, you know, you try to be as compelling as possible and hope a judge goes your way. Um, and then they, they, you know, issue or don't issue. Uh, that's, that's kind of how restraining orders work. Um, mine. Oh boy. So I'm currently on a 10 year. Mm-hmm. I got my stalker on felony stalking max. Um, it's, and again, my, my case is not over. I have to be mm-hmm. careful what I say because there's some things currently in motion. Um, and I'm sure he's listening or will be listening. So I just have to be mindful. That's another thing you have to realize, right? So we talk about these things, but it's, it's, it's not over. Um, anyway, that's, that's how restraining orders work. So the, the process and delivery is important. And so another thing I've been advocating for, since it's what I don't understand is if someone can send you a death threat over email, why you can't send a restraining order right back over email. Right. Right. Like we have, we have legal precedent for things like foreclosure notices where you can do that. But I, so, so a lot of times people can obtain a restraining order, but it's not in in effect until they're properly served. So that's, you know, people, people evade papers and stuff all the time. So that's a problem. I actually, I work with one amazing process server who he dresses up like an Amazon delivery man. <laughs> it's so great. And then he films them and he's like, gotcha, asshole. And I, I love him very much for doing that. I, I said <laughs> it to um, but that's what it takes, right? There's, there's just, it's like everything. It's like just the most like difficult, stressful version of everything just to like get to where you need to go to the next step. And, that's and the onus is on you. Like that's what's Always. so crazy about it. It's like the onus Always. is on you to serve the perp, which is mm-hmm. fucking nuts. It's all these things that I just could never have imagined in my wildest dreams i mean first of all this my perpetrator lives across the country so the first Mm. time that i um had the temporary granted and then the permanent was i was waiting and then all of a sudden he walks up and i was just like this isn't happening like how is he here already how did he get on a plane after being served just 24 hours ago like how is this real? How am I sitting here and have to just like be mad dogged by this dude for hours while I'm, I mean, it was just so the the levels of traumatization of having to go through these processes with no regard for the victim, no 
you know, no safeguards set up for protecting you to be re-traumatized, to be threatened. You know, I've Mm -hmm. spoken to people who their parents show up with them and actually like try to like um, threaten the woman. I mean, say you need to drop this. I mean, there's so many things that could happen while you're in that interim period outside. That's right. That's right. And the other thing, too, if we just address it, is that with stalking, it's not just the crime. It's all this sort of like ancillary stuff that comes with it. Like my stalker, I had to give up my gallery that I worked so oh hard God. for. Public facing. Like imagine like whoever's listening at home, like you have your career that you work for. That's your livelihood. Like, guess what? You can't do it anymore. Right. Like that's so fun reinventing yourself in a city like L.A. where you have high rent. Right. So I had to give up my gallery. And that's what brought me into working in entertainment. And then I got kind of settled there. And then my soccer started sending my boss death threats. And when you work in entertainment, you're freelance. So even though I was doing a good job and everybody liked me, my coworkers were so terrified of workplace violence, as we all are. And they Googled and saw that my stalker tried to kill himself in Ivanka's store. And so they just didn't renew my contract. Oh my you know, there's, there's so many ways that these, these individuals, like I, I always call it, again, this is just me from my like experience. I, when I started working with victims, when my story went viral, they started reaching out to me because they're in a situation and there's, there's really nowhere to get help, nowhere to get answers. So they're Googling stalking. Maybe they see a vice article on me or a TV show, whatever I've done, whatever. So they find their way to me. And I started meeting them and working with them, getting their restraining orders and teaching them risk minimization and, you know, how to pull trackers off cars and not to click the GPS, you know, the, the links, like if you get like a 50% off at Sephora, you might click it and they might get into the GPS in your phone, just kind of like oh working God. level. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a lot. It's, it's deep and it's scary. Um, but so I started doing the restraining orders and working with people and going, wow, am I like all the, all these people, my new best friend, everybody's so amazing. Are we just bonded with our trauma? And then I was like, no, you know what? I'm not, that's doing a disservice to these people. We're not just bonded with our trauma. These are cool ass people. These are all amazing people. And I started calling it extra sparkly. I feel like, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like, they're so charismatic. They're intelligent. They're successful in their given field. These are just really cool people. And these stalkers, these offenders, they want to obtain, possess and control all of which they are not because they are not shit. So um, that kind of goes into my, my deeper theory. So I'm going off on a tangent. No, I like that. I like that. I like kind of flipping the script on this shit. And it's like, we're not, you know, we shouldn't just hide in the shadows. And I mean, that's why what you've done is so inspiring because you're just like, fuck this. Like I'm going to take ownership of this instead of being held hostage by this motherfucker, because that's really what it is. Like in your case, you had to leave this gallery that you had worked so hard for. You were on like this, you know, you were hugely promoted by, multiple publications in LA Everybody. promoting your gallery and that's how this guy found you and then all of a sudden you, ha- you you have all these repercussions just because you are victimized by this guy and um it reminds me of kind of another reaction of of like bl- like victim blaming of course like just like oh, yeah. rape culture it's like I, I swear to god i mean if if i told you how many times people um even close friends of mine were just like look like why don't you just delete your email, leave social media, or just minimize right. your online presence? And it's like, this is my life. This is my job. This is my this is my career. Like, what I'm I'm supposed to just leave like the internet because of what this guy's doing? I mean, it somehow like justifies the response by someone to terrorize you instead of taking action right. and being proactive about this. Yeah. And that's why, so what what happened with me was after I had my mountain of death and rape threats from somebody with a long criminal history that was well-documented, 
you know, and I went to police and they victim shamed me. They victim blame me. They told me to dye my hair, just like you get off the internet. And I was like, at this point I was working as a casting director. I'm like, I'm paid for my social media outreach. Like this is just not an option. You, why aren't you doing your jobs? I was so pissed off. And that's why I went public for the first time. And I went public in 2016. So prior to me too, when the culture was like even rougher to come out as a victim. And I want to say it was appalling. There was, there was even a lot of internalized misogyny. Like I would, I would go on shows and people would tweet at me like dress how you want to be addressed. And it was, it was oh gross. people didn't really but they would say like well you look like that you want this attention and i'm like i've been on tv since i was five if i wanted attention like i just go outside i don't need this bullshit (laughs) right have you ever heard of cat calling motherfucker yeah like this isn't this isn't it and like weirdly like my story is so complicated um i it wasn't until i did 48 hours on this i still don't feel great about what what happened because they interviewed my stalker without my consent but um my stalker you know he very openly in a terrifying way, just terrifying. If you can go, if anyone cares to see it, it's on YouTube. You can see the video of my stalker. It's very, very scary. Um, you know, he had to admit to 17 million people that he was doing this to me for people to believe me. So it's like, oh, you need, you need the offender to uh, on television to admit this is happening to believe people. Okay. I see where we are. Um, but it, it did create that platform, but you know, it's, I'll just say it's being being public with your trauma is is not easy. People speculate. It brings other weirdos. It brings it it brings a lot. But I just and again, I wouldn't me too happen. That was so major for so many reasons. But having come forward before that, it was it was it was not easy. It was not easy. And um, people were largely terrible. Um, I'm glad that there's been a shift there. But it's like now that there's this shift and people are coming forward and telling their stories, I want to see more action steps, right? Like we've gotten to this place where um, people are comfortable in telling their stories, which is incredible. And then you're starting to realize like it's 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 literally it's it's me too. It's everybody. But I'm not really seeing a lot of action about what we can do. And so I feel like hopefully that's like the next big movement. And that's kind of like the work that I've been trying to do and the people I've been trying to align myself with. Because now we have this like cultural conversation where everybody's like sharing their trauma. But um, there's not a lot of discussion about healing. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of discussion about safety. Like it's just it's just kind of this thing. It's like we're all so vulnerable and raw, which, again, is really brave. But like I'm just I'm just ready to see it move to that next step. Well, how did you go from being, I mean, you became really proactive even pre Me Too, yeah. which is crazy, um, considering yeah. the culture. How did you go from being on the defense and then going into mm-hmm. offensive mode and talk about some of the things that you like were doing? I mean, tracking yeah. IPs, like being aware of like all of this stuff and advocating awareness about it for other victims. Yeah, you're exactly right. So that was the first step was I was somebody who like, you know, I was like, okay with tech, you know, whatever. I wasn't like, my th- I knew enough. Um, and then I was like, wow, I really need to monitor this individual. So, and and it wasn't like LAPD was teaching me how to do any of this. They they could not be bothered. So I was like, okay, let me learn how to track the IP so I can tell, I because I, my soccer would, would move all around the country. So I would know if I was at risk that day or if he was across the country and I was okay. So like, that was the first thing I started to do. Um, then I, you know, people don't realize that like there's websites like Truthfinder where our information is everywhere. Like I, like I literally, I, I do this. It's like a, my party trick. Like I'm like, oh, let me. What's your name? And I, this is this your address? Is this the party? <laughs> I can find that out right away. So I started showing people how to, um, you know, wipe themselves, which is really helpful because. Um, when I started coming forward, like, again, more horror stories, I'm not going to say their name, but there's a particularly terrible incel group that targeted me in 2016 for being a forward thinking feminist. And they put me on a rape list and they tried to dox God. me. 
Um, yeah, exactly. Because coming forward, it just it brings all these other things. Again, I, I don't I have no regrets about it, but it, it just saying it wasn't it wasn't an easy ride. Um, and so I show people, you know, just basic risk, risk minimization. You know what what to do to protect yourself, and you know, th- there's a lot of stuff that's kind of common sense. And I'm I'm all about using social media. I don't think that you should, you know, get, if it's something that you enjoy, you could just use it in a good way. Just common sense stuff like don't post where you are or until you're like long gone. Be careful with geotagging, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just I, I started becoming really hyper aware of it um it's super important and then i think for me the big shift is like the first year that it was going on it was awful my my dad was dying when it started and like i did not want his last memories to be like of me in this situation so it was really hard to just like hold it all in emotionally um and then when he passed you know there was this like first of all i was just like scared i didn't i didn't have a support system but then i was also it was just like you know what like I can't live like this anymore. I can't live in like fear and anxiety. And that's where I kind of turned a corner and I was just like, all right, the bad bitch is coming out. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? Like I just went from this like depressed, freaked out individual. Mm -hmm. No, you know what? Like I'm, I'm going to, nope, nope. You're not, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm, and again, I, I respect anybody how we handle these things emotionally. Like we're all super different. I'm just telling how my journey went. Um, and so once I started to really kind of like empower myself in that way, and that's when I, I got involved with like Adam Schiff and some of my proposals went to DOJ. I started working with other victims. I started telling my story. I started going with other people to court, helping them get restraining orders. Because when I got mine, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, there's nobody like, luckily I had one friend who she had gotten one and she took me. So I was like, okay, let me like, you know, pay it forward here. Um, but I think, I think for me also, and this is something like nobody ever talks about, but it was creating community because that's the other thing too. We're, we're so isolated. It's such, it's such a crime, like stalking, I always say is like sexual assault in the seventies, right? It's so prevalent, but just like in the seventies, the way it wasn't really discussed or understood or in the public consciousness, that's kind of where we are with stalking. And also with stalking so frequently, you, you do, you want to, you don't want more attention. You just want to like quietly just like get through your day. Right. So because of that, it doesn't really foster a lot of community. And so I started doing things like I do yoga for free yoga for survivors on Sundays where we all get together. Like I just started doing all these things. And that's like what emotionally helped me through because so much of the focus is just like not getting killed or not losing your job or not have, I mean, even dating was a nightmare. You know, I, I had gone public and like at the time, 2016, I was single. So I was like on Tinder and I'd like sit down, oh you know, a first date's awkward enough. And then the dude would be like, I saw you in Vice. I hear what's your stalker. I'm like, oh my God, this is like the most awkward first date where, you know, dating was really hard. Luckily I'm, I'm with my husband who's, who's amazing, but um, you know, it just, it really creeps into every part of your life. So um, that's one of the things I always talk about is there's the, the sort of hypervigilance for your safety and all those choices. But also I talk to people about the need for a support system and so that you're not getting, you know, the random person in your life who gives you the bad advice or makes you feel like shit or, you know, the last thing we need is you're already, life's already hard enough. You don't need people, you know, dumping on you and making it worse. So it really is important to, to find community and to find out people who've gone through it because they're just the only people who are going to understand what you're going through. Oh my God. I mean, it, first of all, going back to what you said about like how people were like, Oh, you want the attention and stuff. You know I mean? Just the whole victim blaming mentality and rape culture um, phenomenon is just, it's such an insult because it's just, it doesn't matter. I mean, this is a crime that this even has to be said, but like, it does not matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're a woman (laughs) living in this society, it, you could be a victim of this. It doesn't matter. 
And it's just so egregiously insulting to be um, just patronized in that way. And it's like, oh, you have no idea what you're talking about. And it's just like, stop, you know? And and like you said, I mean, it's so crazy how easy it is in the online world today to get someone's personal information, to get yeah. the accumulation of all your addresses, everything, especially for like a voter. Um, you can just pay multiple websites to get it. When my stalker was arrested finally they found um on his computer and cell phone it was just it was just like thousands of pages i mean i remember when i finally went to the prosecutor's office and i like saw this stack of paperwork that looked like a giant like manila folder and i was like what is that yeah. and he was like oh this was all the information about you on his computer and phone and i was just like yeah. what even could that be like what mm -hmm. what information could this be i mean I'm sure, you know, we've we've gone through the extent of being members of the California Safe at Home Identity Protection okay. Program and we have, you know, we have everything sent to a PO box and we try to make extreme we take extreme precautions to make sure nobody knows where I live, but like you never know, you know? And and you and I, Lenore, like we're both public personalities. I our careers, me and my husband, we have to do public events sometimes. I'm also an artist and like I've been scared to like put on shows because it's like, I don't have the money to, to hire mm -hmm. private security. And it's always going to be in the back of my mind. Like, will this guy show up? What is he going to do when he does? Um, how, what precautions do I really need to take? And like, it's really just completely destroyed my trust with anyone. I mean, fans who I used to be really open with and just really receptive to, it's like, I have no trust for people. And I just come across sometimes as like a stone cold bitch. Cause I'm like, I look, I, if you have been through what I've been through, then you would not judge me for not trusting anyone. It's like, I can't trust anyone, especially now that I have a child. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and I'm so glad you brought up the the child component. Like my, my stalker tried to kidnap my dog. And I think about that all the time. If I had it, like even with me going public, I don't think I could have done it if I had a kid, to be honest. I think I would have been too scared. Um, I think that's another thing where we don't have a lot of people, specifically women that come forward because a lot of times they, they have children with the offender. And because of the laws, you know, they're, they're kind of, even if they have restraining order, they're still in some capacity, they're legally tied to that person. So, um, so much of what you're talking about is really resonating with me and how it alters you and how, like, I mean, I'm the, the example, like I was the friendliest person in the world that I went up to my soccer and I was like, Oh, it's so nice to meet you. You know what I mean? Like I was that person and I am so not that person now. I am so, <laughs> it has changed me so much. And, you know, hopefully one day I'll get to a happy medium. Right. right. Um, but right now it, it, I, I just identify with everything you were talking about. It, it really alters everything that you do so much. You know, the <clears throat> the art show thing reminds me of uh, an example that I got of how there is just like how so many men just do not take this seriously to an extreme point. You know, there is an art show that Abby had in downtown L.A. where her stalker showed up at, um, you know, drove across the country from Florida to come to. And, uh, you know, there is an incident. And, and once it all settled down, I told the security guard, I said, hey, man, I was like, please be on the lookout if this guy comes back. You know, we don't know if he's going to come back and do something. And the security guard is like, oh, man, he's like, come on. He's like, it's no big deal. He's like, my girlfriend had a stalker, too. And I was like, oh, yeah, what happened? And he goes, oh, he shot me. And then he pulled up his shirt and he had like a bullet wound. And I was like, dude, I was like, you, how are you downplaying this, man? You almost died from the stalker. Wow. So even, you know, like I've definitely seen it downplayed to a huge degree or people not really understand it. But to extreme lengths, men will go to say that you're not in danger from your stalker. Right. 
Yep. Yeah. And then there's also the problem of like the forums now because of the paranoia that's just so dominant in our society and like these kind of delusional mindsets, you know, the QAnon and a lot of Mm -hmm. other things that are totally untethered from reality is like gang stalking. The concept of gang stalking has become really dominant and it's like kind of overruns the very real phenomenon that we're talking about and you know including my perpetrator thinks that he's being gang stalked by federal agents and so mm-hmm. it kind of muddies the conversation quite a bit and mm-hmm. and it tends to be a problem that actually like overshadows real stalking victims yeah and then and oh my god this is this is um, i don't know how to even say i'm just gonna say it um one of the things that i find so alarming is that so frequently when people come to me for help the people that i believe and the professionals, like forensic psychologists that I might forward their stuff to, right, believe that they're at the most risk, they tend to downplay it because they're almost too afraid, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the people that I call the FBI helicopter people. And those are the people who like, someone just called you ugly on the internet, you know, or something nasty, right? Which is the the nature of the internet is to have shit talk. And then there's those people who just like, they spot, it's, it's nothing, it's not a threat. It's just like, just people being rude. And they, they get so, like, and it is because of that when people can't clearly see the differentiation between like some harassment to stalking. Right. And so that's another thing too. It's like, it's, it's really, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's not hard for those of us who have experienced it or who are trained to know who to take seriously. But yeah, that is a definitely a big conversation that there's so many things that you're saying muddying the water, right. That it's, it's, it, it makes it that much more complicated when coming forward. And, um, you know, it's also, like law enforcement can be pretty terrible and they're not frequently trained to really understand like the ele- what what cases need to be elevated it's like not even their fault they're not receiving the training to know who's the most at risk right so they just kind of get like annoyed because they've had so many of these things a day but it's it's um it's a it's a problem uh, you're so right especially in the wake of me too as as great as me too was to make people women feel comfortable talking about harassment and rape and um, advancing issues like this. It also kind of, there is some sort of like trauma industrial complex and like perpetual yeah. victimhood where people are just very easily triggered by just like insults or just, you know, mm-hmm. like people on Twitter and they're just like, I'm being like harassed and stalked and whatever. And it's like, no, dude, just g- log right. off, touch grass. You're fine. Yeah. That this is, that you're okay. But it, again, like it's just overly conflating something that's very real and serious and like harder to actually describe what is and what is not an actual stock, you know, stalking case. Yeah. Um, Talk about what your, your experience really quickly in the criminal justice system, because you've been going through this process for years. You've had police lose evidence. You have, I mean, it's so difficult to actually get charges filed against perpetrators and actually get a felony conviction. That is very rare. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're you're so right. So yeah, so I've had a real wild ride. My eleven years in, I had to catch my stalker myself. My stalker was sending me videos. So I had like four thousand restraining order violations, all of which were arrestable, you know. And at the time, um, LAPD was just that the warrants were they just weren't doing it. Like they, I would send videos of my stalker. He was at the Santa Monica Youth Hostel. I'm like, he's here. You can pick him up. And like, nothing was happening. So my stalker wrote me and said that he was going to come and get me at LA Comic Con. And I, I know the person who founded LA Comic Con. So I work with them. They were wonderful. The kids were never at risk at Comic Con. There was so much security. 
And, um, you know, they had people hired to dress up like Batman and Robin, who um, <laughs> when Sucker came to kidnap me, that's who held him down for LAPD. No. What? Yeah, my story's crazy. There's so many. I, mean, I, <laughs> I had FBI and Secret Service. Oh, no, my girl, my story's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, which, which um, again, hopefully my docu-series comes out and I get to tell the whole story because it is like a movie. so insane. It it is. It's it's that ludicrous. It's so crazy. Um, because so I'll backtrack a little bit. My stalker had um was also stalking Kim Kardashian at the time, and she had like a ex Mossad security team. And I thought no one's scarier than ex Mossad. That's who's gonna catch my stalker. But no, it was me. I caught my stalker at Comic Con. Um, and then <laughs> after I caught my stalker, and there was a million dollars bail. And while we were, it took a year before you know the trial was supposed to happen. And then um, Gwyneth Paltrow served a protective order. I don't know exactly what happened with Gwyneth Paltrow, but there was some incident with her kids. I, I just know that from piecing together like news reports, no one really tells me what happened. So this is a really problematic individual. Um, and then it was a year and then we were supposed to have the trial. And then I get there and as I'm walking out the courthouse steps, like I'm ready with my victim impact. Like I'm ready to go. I'm, this is like so many years deep. I'm ready to do this. And the DDA, who who I like, who's a good person, who's smart, he just says, you know, we took a plea. We took a plea. Felony stalking Max. And I was stunned. I was just like, I, I, to this day, I, I, I wish it had played out differently because I think we could have gotten him on the additional charges. But that's what happened. Nobody wants an expensive trial. Um, and then the, the DDA said to me, um, I'm advising you not to speak because you're not going to compel a judge to get more time. We've already agreed on felony stalking max. And if you speak, it's just going to put you more at risk. So I didn't even get to have that moment, you know, where I would say what I needed to say. So that that's just something I have to sit with, but that's how that played out. And, and so my stalker was stopped, uh, was sentenced to felony stalking max, which is four years in California. But um, as I explained to you the other day, there's a proposition in California called Prop 57. And I fully understand why people voted for it. I get it. It's just super misleading. The way it was put out was that nonviolent offenders get reduced sentencing, which sounds great. Nonviolent offenses. Great. Awesome. I'm with that. But what they don't explain to people are the crimes that California considers to be nonviolent offenses, which includes rape of an unconscious person, forced sodomy, human trafficking, and stalking. And every time I say this, people's jaws drop, but that is all real. You can look it up. And because of that, because stalking is considered a nonviolent offense in California, the four-year sentence turned into two automatically. So mm -hmm. he got out. It was two years. He already he already served a year um, while in holding. So that was just like one more year. And so I, I got married really quickly in that window of time. I was like, okay, I need to have my wedding. So it doesn't ruin my wedding. Like, and then um, three days after three days after he got out, he was already making YouTube videos about me. And um, I will also, I don't want to get this person in trouble, but I'll just say there's somebody that worked at Twin Towers where he was held who contacted me. And again, I don't want to put this person in trouble. I'm not going to say their name, but they told me that he was writing letters to me the entire time he was at Twin Towers. He just didn't have my address, so he couldn't send them. But that he, this individual wanted me to know that I was still at risk and he was writing me the whole time. So um, that happened. That and so disturbing. Uh-huh. And then there's just been so many violations and going in and there's stuff going on right now. And I can't talk about it because, again, there's something in motion, but um, it's very much an active case. And um, I'll just have to put him back in jail again and just rinse and repeat. I mean, I, I always I hate saying it, but it's, I just I don't think this is over until one of us dies. So that's no, I'm I'm glad that you just said that because we're able to we're strong women and we're able to like talk about this in this way, but it is, 
that serious, Lenora. It is that serious. And like, yeah, I mean, it's just really crazy. Like I, I going through this whole saga and like just completely blocking it out, you know, like as yeah. it, it just came in waves. And then like when the trial finally happened, I, I actually took the time you had to, to go mm-hmm. through everything, to go back and look at what this person has done to me and i was just like oh my god like i can't believe what he's done to me and and how how much there was and how much i like mentally blocked out and like what did that do to me what what the layers of like emotional distress that i had to go through to like even like literally block out entire chapters of my life to not have to deal with this and at the end of the day like it I I I wish that you were able to give your statement. I wish that you were able to face him down in court and like be be that person to like really like put him away for the time that he deserves to because he's going to keep doing this. He's never going to stop and it could escalate into something really dramatic like that. And you know, I I was able to face my perp in court and it was like it was cartoonish because he had this defense attorney that was just trying, you know, it was like really traumatic as well to like have someone be questioning the veracity of what I was saying, be questioning my husband, bring dredge up all of these things about my public life, my artwork. Like it was so distressing. And like the whole time I was just like, this is, it's also another crazy aspect of it though. Like he was able to just have this attorney that, you know, so doubt, in in so much of what was going on, even though it was such a clear cut case, I mean, there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of um, pages of paperwork of what this person has done. It's all a paper trial. It's like there's no there's no ifs ands or buts about it. It's like all the evidence is right there, dude. Um, mm-hmm. But it was still just so. It's like so hard, no matter what avenue you're going through. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. And that, and that's the thing too. It's like, there, there is no like better version of it. It's just like, it's all just yeah. so fucked up. And, you know, um, in hearing you talk about that, like one of the, during one of my hearings, my stalker was so medicated. It was like weekend at Bernie's, you know? And I was like, this, what is the, what is that? You know, like that was a thing. And, you know, I, one of the things I talk about with other survivors too, is like this idea of justice and like, you, there's no videos. So you can't see me making air quotes to the word justice. Like what, what does justice mean? Does that, um, does that give back what was t- like, it's just, it's such a weird or, or like, you know, when it's still ongoing or how it's altered you, it's like, and we're the lucky ones mm-hmm, Lu- again, mm-hmm, lucky also in air quotes, mm-hmm. we're the lucky ones that we got to see it this far out to prosecution like that, that people at home need to really understand how rare that is. That is so rare. Um, you know, and so it's that, that's why so much of the conversation that I've had in the past year, I mean, before I was very focused on the preventative aspect, the risk minimization, you know, legislative stuff, but I'm also like really talking to survivors about like, what are you doing for healing? That's the conversation we never get to have. We never get that far, right? We never get to have that. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? What's working for you? And that's just something that I just really, I, th- I think we really need to take a moment. And that can, that means a lot of things to different people, but I just, I just don't think that's enough of the conversation. And like, where do we go from here? Because even though right. we both have convictions against these people, they're, they're out, you know, they're yep. not sitting in prison and they are going to keep doing this. And if not to us, then to other women. And that's a thing, like we said before, <laughs> I mean, the stranger stalking thing, it just, you, you're fixated for life and, and if you don't harass the same victim then you move on to someone else and so the thing is this never ends for us the 
it's yes. never going to end, Lenora. And what do we do? Like, how, what is your advice for people who are listening? There is someone in the chat right now who says they are also in this in a situation yeah. such as ours, and that's why it's very triggering for them. I mean, yeah. what? I guess, what advice do you do you give out um, to people mm-hmm. about you know how to be proactive about this? Yeah, I mean, I want to just take it back a, a second and just say one thing that's unique about the crime of stalking is whereas like, like I've also been sexually assaulted, totally different person, totally different time, but it, that that is also, some of us are just super lucky and multi-trauma survivors, but, um, you know, whereas with an event like that, the event happens and you can work on healing with stalking, it's the ongoing element, right? So it's like your wound is constantly being poked at it's constantly. And I think, I, I don't want to assume, but I, I think from what I'm gathering with your story too, it's like, for me, I do everything I can to be proactive. Like I can, I am the safest I can be, right? This is as good as it gets. But for me, my fear is that he's going to harm somebody else. And I've been here screaming for 11 years, right? Because it's it's going to be that cute barista that he starts, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that, that is my fear and it is so real and it is horrible. And I don't wish that on anybody. Um, you know, as far as, well, first of all, it's hard to give generalized advice. I really like to take time with people and understand their story and their specific needs. And that's obviously not how all these things work when you're doing a live thing like this. Um, but I definitely feel that people need to feel as empowered as they can and whatever, whatever that means. Right. And so it is, and they, and whoever this person is, they can reach out to me. That's the thing too. I, I try, we have an open door. Like I will answer everybody. You can DM me, you can find me. I'm all over the internet. Um, to talk these things out. I do support groups sometimes where I just get survivors together and we just kind of talk over Zoom. Sometimes that's really helpful, but um, definitely whatever you can with the risk minimization, whatever that means. There's there's little things like depending on what state you're in, certain states have, um, like, for example, you could ask your employer for special parking that's close by with good lighting. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's just a lot that we can do where all you can do is say, I've done as much as I can. You know, it's a, it's the kind of thing where there's so much out of your control, but you absolutely can take back as much control and just go, look, I have done all of the things. And there are a lot of things. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going off track. No, no, it's uh, amazing. You have like, there's like bracelets that you can wear. Yeah, that- yeah there's, right. The, the problem with, with, one of, with some of those bracelets, and I don't want to say the specific company's name, is that, um, it has to be within five feet of the Bluetooth oh of your my phone. God. So just make sure whenever you're bought, yeah, just make sure whenever you're, cause there are, there's a lot of different companies doing that. Um, just make sure that you, you understand the capabilities of whatever device you've purchased. Um, they don't usually have their own data plan. So that's just something to think about. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot, there's stuff like that. Um, which again, that does, that does help some people because maybe, maybe the five feet does to help you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I just mean like really look, look at, just look at everything. Just look at all the, all, all that stuff. Um, yeah. Well, and let, I just want to wrap this up by just saying, you know, you mentioned that there's a lot of nuance to be had in uh, George Gascon winning, you know, he's, he's now the district attorney. It was a huge victory mm-hmm. for Black Lives Matter, but it also means that a lot of things like enhancements to charges were blanketly removed, which directly affects stalking and sexual assault victims, which, I mean, I don't consider a, a rape perpetrator a nonviolent criminal. So it, it's just a really tricky He's done situation. some carve-outs, though. So, like, yeah. one of the things, like, I like I brought to the office, I was like, because he had said, like, for example, he had said early on when he dropped those first directives, like, I'm not going to charge 
like trespassing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I just, that's bullshit. And I just came back to the office and I was like, yeah, if it's a bunch of kids like smoking weed on a lawn, that's great. But if it's in relation to stalking, that's, that's what we, we need that. And so he did make a carve out for that. That's amazing. That's amazing. So So he's listening. I mean, that's the thing is you're on an advisory board for him. You are a member of the LA district attorney's crimes and victims advisory board. I mean, that's, that's huge, Lenora, because you are, you have his ear and you're like helping to get these carve outs made to, to provide that nuance that was really sorely lacking at the beginning. Yeah. And I also want to say like, I got on this board because of a Twitter fight. I got into a Twitter fight with his publicist. I was really mad. It was the day that he, that's that's literally how it happened was the directives came out. And I was like, so for those, those people listening home who don't know, um, he, he made a massive amount of change. Granted, all the things he was trying to change, he was clear when he was elected, he said he was going to do these things, but he did it all at once. And it was very shocking. And everybody's like, what's happening? Like, that's, that's very fair to say. And so I was like tweeting out to him and the publicist, like, just, you know, what the heck? Like, this is kind of, we were all really fired up. And the publicist was like, let's get on the phone. And so I got on the phone and I just kind of was like getting into it because the whole victim survivor community was really like, what does this mean? What, you know, everyone enhancements, like everybody was just spiraling. And so that's what they invited me to be on the board. So I, I really appreciate that because I'm, I'm somebody who I wrote, I mean, I wrote, I think I sent you the op-ed that mm-hmm. I wrote where like, there's some things I agree with. There's some things I don't agree with, right? Just like with a lot of politicians, there's some good policy and some, in my opinion, not good policy. Um, but that's another thing, at least with this board, is that you can contact us and you can say, this is happening in my community. Like there's people on the board who are gang interventionists and their their area of expertise and life experience is different than mine. And so they bring their community and their needs and they, right? So it's we are, we're all there in that capacity. And I just think that's really cool. I just do. It's like, if there's something that you don't like, and for example, you know, he he early on met with groups about hate crimes and he just put, he just put together an AAPI advisory board. And like, there's, it's, I just think it's really cool that you're actually, because let me tell you, like the gatekeeping that goes on in most DA's offices, most of these communities and people are not inside. They don't get that opportunity to talk about the concerns of the community. And I, I just think it's very cool that he's doing that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he yeah, I mean, the vast majority of the reforms are like excellent. And like it was a huge victory for the movement that this dude got elected. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 not until I was victimized that I realized that yeah. there were some things that are now being sorted out, which I'm really grateful for people like you, Lenore. I mean, the fact that you got on the board, that he's open to hearing these things is super badass. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, why I'm going to stay on the line. Mike and I are going to take calls. If you guys have your stories or questions, please stay on the line, get in the call queue. But um, And I'm also going to provide resources for people who are victims or who know anyone in the in the chat and also I'm going to list that at the end of the episode so stay tuned. Lenora Claire, you are an incredible inspirational badass woman. I'm so happy to have found you. I've already just felt like I have more of a community talking to you over the last day and I really appreciate you. No, and I you know again like I I I hope we can like meet up separate to this and just I'm just proud of you, you know, just have everything that you've gone through and that you've, that you've continued to still shine and do what you're doing is, it's, it's amazing. And, um, and just, yeah, just please, like, if you ever, I'm, 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 again, I'm, I always say like, I'm so sorry that we've connected for this reason, but I'm glad because <laughs> it is, it's always the coolest people. I meant it when I said it is all these people. I'm like, you're all so rad and we'd be friends anyway. I can't believe we have this in common. And here we are. <laughs> 
it's just it's just a thing. Um, but again, it's I know it's really hard to, especially when you're you know you're you're a journalist and you're used to telling other people's stories to then tell your vulnerability your vulnerability and share your story is like so major. So so thank you for for doing that because every one of us that comes forward, we make it easier for everybody who's listening. You know, you're totally right, Lenora. Um, please tell people where they can find you and follow you. Yeah, um, I, I'm on, oh boy, I'm on most social media, not, not doing Twitter for, I think people know why, uh, not, not participating there, but, um, you can find me pretty much everywhere else. My, my website, uh, Lenora Claire, Lenora Claire Consulting, that's my, that's my company where I'm trying to reduce the harm in the making of true crime content, which is a whole other conversation. If you ever want to have that conversation, mm. lots to talk about there. Um, but you just find me Lenora Claire. I'm on pretty much everything and people can email me, DM me. I will, I will totally get back to you. Awesome. The person that I was speaking of actually already messaged you on IG. So definitely look out for her. Okay, um, okay. Thank you so much, Lenora. I'll be in touch. I really appreciate your time and, and just having this really important conversation. It means a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're, we're real friends now. So you can, you can call me, call me anytime. Awesome. You're the best. Uh, enjoy your day and I'll be in touch soon, Lenora. Thank you so much. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. We have, we have a couple people in the queue. We have my dear friend Riley, AKA Sparkle. Speaking of, um, Lenora's whole comment about how it just makes you extra sparkly. <laughs> Because that's the people who you know, a lot of caller. people a lot of people latch onto, and this this definitely encompasses my friend Riley, sparkly as hell. First time calling in, huh? Sure is. Hey, you two. Hey. hey. Well, thanks for sharing your stories. Um, I would like to just share a little bit about what I went through. Actually, Abby's the first person I've ever met that has had a stalker, so I. I know how alienating it is and I can relate to like what you were saying, like, Oh yeah. Someone like people being jealous mm-hmm. or not really understanding. Um, that's happened to me before and it's, it is ridiculous. Tell, tell us what happened to you, Riley, if you're comfortable. Right. Um, so I was in a rap group when I was 19 and um, a fan of our music who lived across the country became obsessed with me. And I, I didn't really realize he was stalking me until three years in because my, I was just living my life, you know, and I actually wasn't really on social media that much. And then one day I finally logged into my Facebook and I realized he was sending me messages and videos of himself, like, you know, doing nasty stuff every day for three years straight oh my god that's horrifying jesus christ i did not realize that that that's what he was doing every day and horrific and then i his mom eventually reached out to me and i think didn't want to recognize that her son was going through probably a schizophrenic episode um and she was yelling at me she like found my contact and was like what have you done to my son and I was like, I literally don't know him. I'm not doing anything. And I tried to coach her, like, you should get him some help. And she said that he believed he was keeping me alive. Like, he had an altar that he would stay up all night and day and, like, sage and put burn charcoal and put gummy bears on it because I love gummies. He knew oh, that because he was stalking me. And he sent me an email, finally, like, eventually one day, and 
he said that he believes that he and I being together would be Jesus Christ reincarnated. And if I didn't choose to be with him in this lifetime, I would have to die immediately and then reincarnate into someone else so that he could create, we could be Jesus together. When was this, Riley? Because this is, has this ever stopped? I mean, has he found you in different avenues? Like, how have you dealt with this? So I did, well, one more thing is that no one else has my full name in the world. And if you were to, like, say I'm looking for a job, if somebody were to Google my name, the first thing that came up was his YouTube channel, which had literally two hours per video of him talking to me manically saying really dark things publicly on YouTube, which was just, just, you know, it affects every aspect of your life. I was terrified. Um, that was about four years ago. Um, the last I heard from him was two years ago and luckily, you know, I saved everything to a hard drive and I found, um, representation and basically, I had the choice to get a restraining order, but because he was across the country, that would have given him three chances to come and see me in court. Right. And I made the choice not to engage him because, yeah, it was a hard choice, but I didn't want to spiral it even further. And, you know, I actually check online um, in the state he's in and he's in jail for other stuff pretty much all the time. So I'm feeling safer, but I mean, that's so there's so many crazy things about this story. First of all, it's the family who's in denial about the mental state of their child. And so they project onto the victim, which is what his mother did. You know, what did you do to my son to make him do this? Another problem with this is that because of the victim blaming mentality that society perpetrates um, job, you know, potential employers are Google searching, and then it really could impact. I mean, because the first inclination of someone who is of has this mindset that's really toxic is like, oh, well, what did this person do to invite this? You know, Mm -hmm. like, what did they do to this guy? Oh, they must be like someone that I don't want to associate with. Or it's like someone is just a complete stranger to you. You know, but it like totally affects everything that you do because that's what that when someone Googles you when you're trying to get a job, that's what comes up. I mean, it's just totally nuts. Yeah. And like there's I feel like there's I've encountered a lot of just like a lot of sympathy for stalkers because something is wrong with them. Right. I mean, clearly there's something wrong with you if you are obsessed with that level on someone and have an altar and all that stuff. But the the problem with that is is that doesn't make them any less of a danger to you in your life, number one. And in fact, that makes them more of a danger. Um, but the other side is that they also completely, like your life, Abby's life, Lenora's life, one person, regardless of why they're doing it, is able to completely hijack someone else's life. You know, for them, it's just a, it's a fucking hobby. You know, it's like what they do for fun is like go and, and do some stalking, you know, and they have a job, they have a family, they have other things that they can live a normal life. But the person that they're stalking is 100% of the time worried and, and making plans and changing their behavior and changing as a person. And it completely hijacks someone's life for just this extreme amount of time. And like, what other, what options do people have? I mean, there's no like, 
mental health line you can call and be like, hey, this this person is uh, needs to be medicated. You know, can you pick get pick him up and give him some meds? I mean, there's no. How do you keep yourself safe and how do you up, get your life back? You know, it's just such a it's just such a difficult thing. And I feel that the you know someone could hear the the altar thing and be like, ah, oh, man, poor guy. You know, it just needs some help. Yeah, Whereas, what about like, us? You are the one that he's saying you need to fucking die and maybe he should kill you so you can like be married in like an afterlife and stuff. It's like, you know, there's, um, yeah, I think not much, uh, the sympathy should be, you know, with the victim first and foremost. Yeah. And it's also like, we don't have, like I was saying before, there's no apparatus to deal with people in this state. And, and a lot of states consider people like this, just nonviolent. And so it, this, this weird gray area where they, you know, it's like people like Riley and I, and Lenora, of course, and you, Mike, I mean, we're not, we're progressive people. Like I, I don't want to put someone in prison. You know, it's like, we don't, it's like crazy to just think like that's, there are no options to really have people be helped. It's like you just have to be perpetually victimized from someone like this because society has failed us in every regard. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I have a lot of empathy for mental health and that was part of it for me. But yeah, it, it was hard, like bringing it up to people, you know, everyone would kind of laugh it off because it's so unrelatable, you know. And, um, yeah, it, it wasn't easy to find support and, uh, I, it broke me for a long time and it's actually why I don't have my full name on the internet and I go by Sparkle Forest, um, just so I can not attract someone who knows more about me than that. So that makes sense, Sparkle. Um, and I really appreciate you sharing your story and, you know, I think another thing that, it's just really insulting in terms of the responses is, you know, people who because and in your case, it's been ominous threats. And like, that's another thing is like a lot of these people who have the stranger stalking paranoia obsession about how we're married and in a relationship and all this, like your stalker and my stalker and Lenora's stalker, um, they are also like highly competent in, in the way that they approach the language because they don't explicitly say like, I am going to kill you. I'm going to come to your house and murder you. And a lot of times law enforcement or whatever restraint orders, like they're just like, Oh, well, has he ever explicitly threatened to kill you? And you're like, uh, no. And then that's like, Oh, well then you're fine. Like, well, you're not, he, he's probably not going to hurt you then. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, well, when someone is writing you thousands and thousands of emails and sending you like pornographic material saying that you will, like they will, be married to you and that you have to die in order to like be with them and all of this stuff. It's like, isn't that, can't you construe that as like a very clear threat? I mean, it's just dancing around the language that they know that they can't use, which just further serves their competency and almost like explains that they, you know, mental illness can only explain the, or rationalize things to a certain extent, because at the end of the day, there is a level of competency where these people are highly motivated and driven to target you. Riley, thanks for Sorry, your call. Sorry, guys. I think oh, you're it's good. Out. Oh, oh, it's oh yeah, no, um, it's no problem. But yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. And um, I'm really glad that you were doing an episode about this. So thanks, guys. Thank you, Sparkle. I really appreciate you calling in with your story. It, it's really important to share these stories, to have a community, to 
get this off your chest because so many people, I mean, the fact that I, the fact that you've been through this is just insane. You know, it's like one of my friends is, is a stalking victim. It's just like, I probably wouldn't have known that unless we had talked about it before, unless I was a victim. It's just something that's very personal. You don't want to call more attention to yourself. There's a reason I haven't talked about this for 11 years. I don't want, I didn't want the attention. I didn't want my perpetrator to have the knowledge that it was affecting me. You know, I didn't want him to have the gratification that I was held hostage by his actions and I wanted to rise above it. But I have to be honest and I have to like give women and men who are also victims the space to understand that this is something that we need to talk about and that it is such a larger phenomenon than I even knew before. Um, thank you so much, Sparkle, for calling in. I really appreciate it. Love you, Abby. Love you, love you, girl. Thank you so much. Okay, we're going to take one more caller and then we're going to wrap. Hey there. Who's on the line? Where are you calling from? Oh, hello. Hi. Hey. Oh, hi. Hi. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I cut in or cut out for a second. Um, I actually, so I don't know anything about this podcast to be clear. I actually was sent the link to this on Instagram from a friend who's been, um, following because I've been posting a saga that I've been going through. Mm -hmm. Um, I, this all happened really recently. This is all very new to me. I didn't really know anything about stocking up, um, until September, when um, someone who I was like briefly friends with about a year ago, who like maybe friends with for a month and then just did not hear from, uh, popped back up into my life and um, began trying to contact me, um, saying that they were in love with me, obsessed with me, um, that we had were destined to be together, uh, started showing up at my house. Um, and in the span of three weeks, I had to get six police reports. Um, I had this person like escorted off my property multiple times. Um, I, oh, I got a, a restraining order. Um, they violated the restraining order three times. Um, so the first, this, no, the second time they violated the restraining order, they showed up at my house. I'm sorry. I totally just jumped into no, my please, notes. Okay. <laughs> no, this is, this is really important. Please. Okay. Um, they showed up at my house. They were on my back porch. Um, God. I called the police. The police came. They, um, ignored the police completely and, uh, wouldn't move. And eight cops ended up coming carried them down my back porch into the police station where they um, feigned a seizure. Um, so the cops had them sent for a psych eval. And then the next morning they went to bond court. They were given a personal recognizance bond, meaning they just signed something that says um, I'll come back to court. They didn't pay any money or anything. Um, left jail, immediately came back to my house Um I only knew that because I showed up, I got home from work and the cops were at my house. Um, so I start. I was talking to the cops. I'm like, Hey, I have a, um, restraining order against this person. They literally were arrested yesterday on a misdemeanor violation of a restraining order. Please arrest them. Um, they were like, 
wouldn't arrest him. I don't know why. For some reason, they escorted him a block away to a bus station, which is also within a thousand feet of my house. So it was still like violating the restraining order. So I, I ended up walking to the police station with my friend, which was like another block away. They finally arrested him. Um, and he's been in jail since then, since late September. Um, I've been going, basically just going through how my whole life has been totally upended in the last two months. Um, I never expected anything like this. Um, he, he, he's facing, uh, two counts of felony aggravated stalking and two counts of, uh, or that was a class three felony and two counts of, uh, class four felony for the second violation of a restraining order. Um, the class three felony, um, and I, I just feel like I just like spewed my whole story. No, I mean, Uh, that's, that's really, uh, serious charges too. I mean, people need to understand it is very hard to get aggravated on top of felony stalking charges, which shows you how serious and it all escalated quite quickly. It was like a bomb drop in your life. Really quickly, yeah. Um, I work for myself, um, and I work, like, outside in public, so that's been difficult. Um, there was a while where I'd, I stopped working for a week and told all my clients I can't. Um, I explained what I'm going through. They were all really understanding. Um, and I, I then, I am back at, back working again because I know he's in custody and I'm signed up to be notified instantly if he's let out of custody. I don't think he is going to be for the foreseeable future, but, um, but you still have to go to trial, right? What was that? You still have a trial or did he plea out? Oh, this is way in the beginning. They just, he was just arraigned. Um, Mm -hmm. he was indicted like a month ago and then arraigned. And I think like, Later this month, the discovery period starts, which could take six months to a year, I'm being told. So this is like, I'm in the very beginning stages of, of any of this. Um, and is he being held yeah. on bond? Like, is he able to? No. So he hasn't paid, he hasn't been able to pay bond or anything. Um, his parents have a lot of money. He's young, by the mm. way. Um, his parents have money, but they he seems to not be willing to accept anything from his parents. Um, and uh, I don't, so, I mean, he's been in jail for two, two months now. So um, I don't think he's going to be get at get, getting out. Uh, they upped his bond to $50,000. Um, and there, if he does get out, there's uh, electronic monitoring and GPS monitoring requirements. Oh, wow. Uh, what state are you in? I'm in Illinois. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, in my in my case, there was not. I mean, I was like not informed. <laughs> uh, there was no requirements at all for monitoring, and I was just like, "How is this happening? Like, how is yeah. any of this real? That this person could just be out?" And it was like I was told all these different things, like, "Oh no, you will be notified. Okay, don't worry about it." And then it was just like nothing. It was just like. <laughs> I mean, it's just the lack of protection, actually, when this person will inevitably be let out is, like, very, very daunting. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. Um, I, 
my my biggest fear you know i have to like (laughs) i don't trust the system but i have Mm. to trust the system right Right. now because otherwise i'll go insane right Right. um and my biggest fear is that somehow something will fall through the cracks and i won't find out i mean if i am notified that he's out i'm gonna go stay with someone else and Mm -hmm. like immediately um but it's yeah, it's like this, it's man, this thing sucks so much. It's like this, I've never been through anything like this before. And it's, it's so isolating. And I'm so glad my friend sent me the link to this podcast. Cause I have not, I had just haven't been able to talk to anyone who's been through like anything like this, like to this level of severity. It's so much more common than you even think until you are a victim of it. You know, there's like this show on Netflix right now, like I am a stalker. And when it came out, I was like, oh, this is crazy. I'm I'm going to watch this. And then like the whole show, I mean, as horrible as it is, like a lot of stalking victims are, you know, former intimate partners and stuff like that. And so which is really fucked up. But like this is this is just so bizarre that someone that you just briefly knew comes into your life and just becomes fixated to such an extreme degree that it just completely stalls everything that you're doing and like puts it it, he literally is holding you hostage and you can't work you can't do anything like you're i mean it's just so it's so crazy and no one understands no one understands and it's like the capacity to even understand this phenomenon is so limited because of how rarely it's spoken about and shared from victims and i'm so happy you called in i'm so happy that you listened in it's the first time i've talked about my story for a long time it's very traumatic and we just have to keep the space open and and we have to be proactive like that's the thing is like we have to fucking be proactive and we have to go on the offense about this because we can't live in fear like i know that we probably will for the rest of our lives to a certain extent but we have to we have to take charge of the situation and you are doing everything right. You know, you just have to, obviously you're still going through this. Uh, you know, there's the trial is going to happen eventually, even if he's convicted, he will one day get out and, and all of that. And so, you know, if there's any advice I have, it's just do not let up in any way on your personal safety and finding yeah. ways to protect yourself. And of course there's a lot of resources to do that. It's, it's all state by state, but ways to conceal your address and where you are and stuff like that, you know, other ways you can, protect yourself you definitely you have to do everything and you can't i mean that's the the hardest thing about this is you can just never let your guard down mm-hmm. i mean you really can't um and just t- make it like your top priority with everything you do where you're staying where you live where you go and and all of that and so you know it's you're it, in some ways lucky that it's he's in jail and there is a trial because like we we're talking about on the show it's it's so rare i mean even the right. detective that worked with us who saw our case said that it, you know, when I saw him in court, he said that in his 25 years as a detective, he's never seen a stalking case go to trial. And I was like, Oh, you mean, cause they all take plea deals. And he's like, no, they just never get charged because it's always so complicated. And you know, it's hard, you know, there's the state's always scared to do it. Cause they think they're going to lose. Cause you could just have, if there's not super clear cut, you know, there just will be a guy on the jury who doesn't want to go along with it. Cause he's a weirdo himself or whatever. So yeah, it's, um, I'm happy that you have the protection that you have right now, but you know, I think the the whole the theme of this is that there's you are now never able to let your guard down. And I think maybe the the good thing too that you're doing at this stage is like seeking community because 
you know, like Abby mentioned, that's something that we didn't do for most of the the experience because it was you, you kind of just want to block it out and you don't want to like engage. It's it's scary to look at stalker content because it just makes you more scared because once you start hearing other stories you don't want those stories to become your story because a lot of the stories have bad endings and i think that just meeting other people who have gone through it is is so important just for emotional support but also to really know all the ways that you can protect yourself you know we have no choice but to go through the system that's available for us as much as we may disagree with elements of of how it exists and what it does, but you have to because it's the only tool that we have and you have been doing everything right. And the fact that you've already got the charges of aggregated felony assault and stalking is like a huge, a huge deal. And it's going to just help to just keep everything in documentation because that's the only thing that we have is to build a case because this could happen for a long time. And I, I wish you all the best of luck. I hope that you reach out to me on Instagram as well, Fab Abs. I'd love to keep this community support line open and just to continue to help each other because it's a never-ending saga. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. I'm, I'll reach out to you directly, yeah, because, um, yeah, I really appreciate this. And um, it just, it's, it's, I never, I never would have imagined how few resort, how few and far between resources are for stalking victims. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really unbelievable. So thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for calling in and sharing your story. It was really important and I really appreciate hearing it. Thank you so much. Take care. Well, thank you everyone so much for hanging in there, for tuning in to this very important personal episode of Dosed. I hope that you gleaned some information, took away a whole new understanding of what stalking is, how stalking victims can be understood helped and guided, um, offering community to those who need it. It's pretty alarming that both callers experience something very similar to Lenora and myself. And there's probably so many more. There's so many more out there. And so it's up to us to really just extend that line, that line of communication support for anyone who needs it and to keep keeping that line of communication open with with everyone that you know and um, making sure that people feel heard men and women you know everyone is a potential victim it doesn't matter if you're a public personality or if you're just a, a totally normal person with no presence at all it it could be someone who just passes you by on the street i mean that's just how weird this like our last caller just like someone you met someone you met and they just and that's it it's like it's just such a strange phenomenon and our society is so alienating and isolating already that when you pile something like this on top of it it can ruin your life it can ruin your life right empower yourself and protect yourself because that's really all we can do Um, i'm going to put some assistance and information about victim support groups in the chat in the description once we upload this episode so please check that out Um, You can go to the National Center for Victims of Crime Stalking Resource Center. There's documentation, there's guides, there's a lot more um, that have been developed for January, which is National Stalking Awareness Month actually coming up. Victim Connect Hotline 855-484-2846 if you need more um, one-on-one assistance with this. And I'll link to all these resources below. Thank you so much, you guys, for listening. I'll see you next time.